0: Now This is something that all of us have experienced in the past. It's something that we will undoubtedly experience in the future, and it could be something that you're experiencing right now. Today we're going to talk about failure. Last week we began a new series of messages called The Teacher Who Changed the World, and we noted that Jesus, the greatest teacher who ever lived, came to this world not just to die for us, but to show us how to live. And if there's anyone who knows how hard it is to live in this broken, fallen world, it's Jesus. And so today we're going to look at what Jesus taught about failure and how God can use failure in our lives to accomplish his purpose. Here's a quote by author Lee Strobel from his book called The Case for Christ about the teaching of Jesus. He writes this, If Jesus is the Son of God, His teachings are more than just good ideas from a wise teacher. They are divine insights on which I can confidently build my life. You see, if Jesus is more than just a man, if he's actually God come in the flesh, then he is the greatest teacher who ever lived, the teacher who changed the world. So the question is, what insights does Jesus have for us that can help us deal with failure? Well, I'd like to begin addressing this topic with a question. Have you ever watched a small child learning to walk? Now here's a video that captures what that experience is like. Let's watch. go ahead and fade that. This goes on for a really long time. But isn't that that cute? Hey, think about this. When a child tries to walk, they don't get it right the first time. Isn't that true? I mean, they fall down a lot. And can you imagine a little kid saying, hey, man, I am so clumsy. I, I guess I wasn't cut out to be a walker. I'll just, I'll settle for crawling the rest of my life. What do little kids do when they fall down? Yeah, they get up. Because little kids, this is interesting, when they're toddlers, they expect to toddle and so they keep trying failure after failure until they finally learn how to walk but here's what happens often as we get older we grow more afraid of failing and how we handle failure and how we handle our fear of failure is very important for this reason because failure is an experience everyone faces failure is an experience that everyone faces Think about the original 12 disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. They all experienced failure. Look at these verses. Tonight, all of you will desert me, Jesus told them. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now notice the response of one of the disciples. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Peter, Jesus replied, truth is, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No, Peter insisted, not even if I have to die with you. I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Now, when the disciples <clears throat> failed Jesus, was Jesus surprised? No, not at all. When we failed Jesus, is he surprised? No see, the truth is that failure is an experience we all share in common. It's like the story I read this week about this guy who dies and he's on his way to heaven. And he approaches this really big staircase and at the bottom he's handed this piece of chalk. And he's given instructions, put a chalk mark for every sin you've committed on every step going up to the top. So the guy's about halfway up this staircase and he looks and there's this person coming down. And he recognizes this person. It's his pastor. And he's a little confused, and he says, Pastor, where are you going? And his pastor says, I'm going down to get more chalk. (laughs) Moral failure is something that affects every single one of us. And there are other kinds of failure besides moral failure. Think about this. Think about school. You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody here ever fail a pop quiz or a test or a grade? How about this, sports? If you've ever played on a sports team, you probably have, have faced failure because you don't win every single time. Sometimes you try to make the team and you fail. Sometimes you want to be a starter on the team and you don't get to start. So there's failure in the world of sports. What about the world of work? You know, maybe you've failed to get that dream job that you wanted. Maybe you failed to keep the job that you got. Maybe you tried to launch a business and it failed. Or how about hobbies? How many of you, you could raise your hand on this one, how many of you have ever tried to plant a plant and it died? Okay, there's, there's a kind of failure. Or how about this? Some of you like uh, do-it-yourself projects, right? I see you nodding in your head, yeah. Have you ever had this experience? You're into this do-it-yourself project and after going to Home Depot for the 12th time, you decide you're going to Home Advisor and find a professional that can bail you out. There's all kinds of failure that we might experience. And I think one of the most difficult areas in which we fail is in relationships. Maybe it was a dating relationship that just fell apart. Maybe a friendship. Maybe you struggle with a sense of failure because you were married and it ended in divorce. Sometimes parents struggle with a sense of failure because of the choices that their children make. they think to themselves, I'm just not a very good mom, I'm not a very good dad. All of us experience failure And nobody likes it. So the important question is, how do we deal with failure? And here's the reality. Some people are energized by failure. Some people are pushed to new levels of courage and commitment. When they fail, they just bounce right back up. Other people, it's just the opposite. They're paralyzed by failure. They're utterly devastated. And here's why that can happen. Because failure can be a tyrant that destroys lives. Failure can be a tyrant that destroys lives. How many of the disciples ran away when Jesus was arrested? All of them. And yet one of those disciples experienced failure in a much more profound way because of a choice that he made. Look at these verses. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and other leaders. And the passage goes on. I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the money onto the floor of the temple and went out and hanged himself. It's a sobering passage. As a pastor and in my years working as a paramedic and a firefighter, I've been on the scene of a lot of suicides and sometimes people leave notes behind and there are two common words that you see on those notes I'm sorry sorry for what I did sorry I let you down sorry that I couldn't go on there's a Bible verse that really helps us get a a godly perspective on moral failure and how it can affect us look at this verse from 2nd Corinthians for God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation We will never regret that kind of sorrow. But sorrow without repentance, without changing our hearts and changing our minds is the kind that results in death. Failure can be so serious that it can cause people to to take their lives. It results in death. But there's another kind of death that failure can bring. The death of hope, the death of dreams, the the hope of possibilities. People accept the status quo. They won't accept new challenges. The risk, A future failure is, is too great because the pain of past failures is too deep. Failure really can be this tyrant that destroys us, but the Bible tells us it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, there was another disciple who failed Jesus not once but three times, and his failure moved him in an entirely different direction because unlike Judas, Peter learned this, that failure can be a teacher that God uses to restore lives. Failure can be a teacher that God uses to restore lives. Somebody asked Winston Churchill one time, what prepared you most to lead Great Britain through World War II? And this is what Churchill said. It was the time I repeated a class in grade school. The questioner said, you mean you flunked a grade? And Churchill responded, I never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. It's a great perspective on failure. Because failure can prepare us for success. Peter allowed Jesus to use failure in his life to move him forward to a new level of commitment and to a renewed relationship. And think about this. What happens to Peter when he fails, when he denies Jesus? He runs away. And what does he go back to? Well, he goes back to the one thing where he feels like he can succeed. He goes back to fishing because he knows how to fish. And there's a beautiful story in in John's biography of Jesus. Peter's been out fishing all night with his friends and the sun's starting to come up and they haven't caught a single thing. And they're getting ready to come back in and there's this, this shadowy figure on the shore and he yells out, hey, have you caught any fish? And the response is no. And this person on the shore says, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And they do. And all of a sudden, that net is so full of fish they can barely drag it into the boat. And in that moment, John, one of Jesus' disciples, looks at Peter, and in this moment of deja vu says, Peter, that's the Lord, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Impetuous Peter, he just dives into the water, and he swims to shore, and you can imagine the scene. Here's Peter, he's dripping wet. The other disciples get there, they start to, to come up on the sand there, and they know it's Jesus, but nobody wants to ask him who he is. It's a really tense moment. And we pick this story up in John chapter 21, verse 1. It says this. Now, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And Jesus is not referring to the disciples. He's referring to the fish. Do you love me more than these fish that you've just caught? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. How many times did Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Three times. You see, Peter had completely failed Jesus. And Jesus wants Peter to move beyond his failure. And that's true for each one of us. Because of his love for us, Jesus wants us to move beyond our failure. The question is, how in the world can we do that? Well, Look at the statement on your outline. Examine your heart so you can understand and own your failure. That's a principle from the story that can help us examine your heart so that you can understand and own your failure. I read a story this week about this minor league baseball manager, and his team was having a really tough game. And his center center fielder was making all these errors, and so the manager decided to call this guy into the dugout. He benched him and went out and started playing center field himself because he thought he could do a better job. So the next batter hits this. This really um, sharp line drive and it bounces and hits him right in the face. And then the next batter gets up and he hits this really high fly ball and the manager who's playing center field loses it in the sun and the ball hits him right in the head. And then a third batter gets up and hits a sinking line drive and he dives and misses it and by this time he is furious. So he goes into the dugout and he grabs the, the center fielder by the shoulders and says, you idiot, you've got center field so messed up, not even I can do anything with it. Let me ask you this, who do we tend to blame when we fail? Yeah, anybody and anything else. We look for excuses. The one place we often don't look is at ourselves. And notice that when Peter fails, Jesus asks Peter to look at himself, to take a look at his heart. He says, Peter, do you what? Do you love me? And notice that Peter doesn't make any excuses. He owns his failure. He doesn't say, well, Lord, You know, when I was around that fire and they were asking me questions, did you see how big those soldiers were? Or, or, Lord, you know, if these other guys hadn't run away, I I wouldn't have run, run away either. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Peter, do I have first place in your life? And that is a critical question that we need to deal with whenever we're facing failure. And church, here's why. Listen very carefully. Anything that hinders your relationship with Jesus... Anything that competes with God for first place in your life will ultimately cause you to fail. Now, here's the flip side. Anything that strengthens your relationship with Jesus, anything that helps you grow in your commitment to Christ and become more like him will ultimately cause you to what? To succeed in God's way. This week, as I was working on the message, I had a conversation with a parent And this is somebody that's not in our church family. And this this parent was telling me that he just felt like a failure because of the choices that some of his adult kids were making. And I've had this conversation uh, many times with moms and dads who find themselves in that same situation. They have the sense of guilt, the sense of failure, because their kids are just not pursuing God's path for their life. And whenever I have that kind of conversation, I try to go back to God's principles. And one of the principles that's so important to realize is this, that we are individually responsible for our choices. You know, as a father and now as a grandfather, I can influence my kids. I can influence my grandchildren. But they're going to make their own choices. And they are responsible before God for every choice that they make. And here's another important thing that I think gives us perspective. Because sometimes we... We look at choices that our kids may be making or even our grandkids. And we fail to remember that there's a story that's being written. If you look at your life like a book, there are different chapters in your life. And sometimes we look at one chapter and we, and we just get this impression, hey, this is terrible. This, this is so hurtful. This is so painful. How can we get through this? I'll tell you this. If you looked at my life and you went back a number of chapters, this is probably what you would say. This is not going to end well. This young man is headed for disaster, and you know what? You'd be right, because I was. But here's the thing I'm incredibly thankful for today. I wasn't the only one writing my story. God is writing the story of the lives of his children. And moms and dads, grandmothers, grandfathers, remember that this morning, that we have a God who is sovereign. We have a God who is in charge. And God can take everything in our lives, in the lives of those we love, the good choices, the bad choices, and because he is sovereign, he can use them to accomplish his purpose. But the question still remains, what do you do as a parent when your kids are making choices that are pulling them away from God's purpose and God's path for their life? And here's the answer. You fight for your kids. You fight for your family, so how do you fight? Well, the Bible says we have two weapons we can fight with. One is God's word, and the other is prayer. And so this is what we need to do. We need to continue to to take that, that weapon, if you will, of truth and speak the truth in love. Now we need wisdom to do that, but we can't walk away from the truth. And we have to live out the truth before our families, before our kids and our grandkids. And we also need to do this. We need to hit our knees. And pray that God will step into their lives and grab hold of their hearts. And this is something that I am so thankful for. And I was thinking about it as, as I had the privilege of doing the baptism first service and then again second service, that we're a family. And that means that when you're struggling, you can go to people in your church family that you know and that you trust and you can say, hey, would you pray with me? Because the Bible says there is a power in praying together. And we need to remember what Jesus said about prayer, that we should always pray and not give up. Because here's what can happen. When when a person actually comes face to face with their failure, when they understand why they failed, when they own that failure, then they can do this. They can take action to put that failure behind them. And that's the next thing. We need to take action to put our failure behind us. Because that's exactly what happens with Peter. Peter has failed, and Jesus says, Peter, you need to get up. You need, you need to get back to what I called you to do. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Peter, I want you to minister to your brothers and sisters. You see, even though Peter is a broken man, God can still use him. Author Vance Habner said this, God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, Broken bread gives strength. It's the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It's Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever before. One of the most destructive things we can do when we fail is nothing. Because when we fail to take action, we start feeling helpless. We start feeling hopeless. We feel like we can never change. And that leads to a a loss of, of motivation, a loss of energy. And then we start to procrastinate, and then we start to avoid, and then we start to try to find ways to escape the pain that's in our heart. And things can really spiral downward from there. I I was thinking about not only the, the failures that moms and dads experience, but the failures that husbands and wives experience too. I'm so thankful for the class that Pastor Phil's been leading on the meaning of marriage. It's a great opportunity to explore God's... God's purpose and plan for marriage and and also the parenting class coming up. I want to recommend that to you as well. But I'll tell you, in my personal experience, because I've been married for decades now, and I know my wife, Chris, would say the same thing. We have failed each other. I know that's no newsflash because that happens in relationships. And and here's what causes a marriage to die. It's when you lose hope. It's when you no longer believe that things can change. See, when you start to believe that, you quit trying. And once you quit trying, the death of a marriage is just a matter of time. But there is another way. There's God's way. And God's way to move forward when you fail is to understand why you failed and to actually own it, to confess it to your spouse, to confess it to God. And to say, God, look, I don't want to keep failing. I need you to help me move past this. And God will run to meet you. God will honor his word. And restore hope to your heart. And friends, here's why that's so important. It goes full circle to where we started. How many people fail? Yeah. Every single one of us fails in some way or another. And we all fail morally. And so here's what I want you to do, just for a couple of minutes. I want you to put on your gospel glasses. Can you do that? If you don't have real glasses, just do it figuratively. Because I want us to look at failure through the lens of the gospel. Now, what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. Good news about who? Good news about Jesus. And you've heard me say this many times. To understand how good the good news is, you have to understand how bad the bad news is. And here's the bad news in a nutshell. Nutshell. Are you ready? I failed to say the word nutshell. But here's the bad news. You have failed. And I have failed. Failed to keep God's commands. God said, love me with all your heart. We don't do that. Love your neighbors yourself. We don't do that. And because we have failed, there's a consequence. And, and you know this from what the Scripture teaches, that we're separated from a God who is holy. And because God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And we can't do anything to rescue ourselves. You know, so often when you ask somebody, you know, why do you think God should accept you? They'll just begin giving you a list of reasons. Well, I try to be a good person. I try to do what the Bible says. Listen, the reason God accepts us is not because of what we do. It's for one reason. What Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because you see, the good news begins with this God who loves you so much that he would rather die than live without you. And the story of the Bible is that God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus comes to this world and lives the kind of life we could never live. A perfect life. And that qualifies him to go to the cross and to die in our place. Because on the cross, God is willing to put our sins on Jesus and punish him in our place. And there is this incredible transaction that happens at the cross. When you trust what Jesus has done for you, your sins are placed on Jesus. That's what makes forgiveness possible. He's punished instead of you, but there's something else that happens. The perfect life of Jesus Christ is now credited to you. So that when you trust Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, It's as if you never sinned. And friends, that's an incredible, incredible truth. And what happens after Jesus pays for our sin? Well, to prove that God the Father accepted that payment, he's raised to life. And now Jesus offers us a new life so that we can move beyond our failure. Because listen, when you decide to follow Jesus, when you say, Jesus, look, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe you died for me, you rose from the dead, I want to follow you. This is what happens. You get a new record because your past is settled. You get a new identity. You're a son or a daughter of God. And you get a new potential because it's not just you anymore. It's God's Spirit living in you, making a new life possible. And that means that when you fail, because we still fail, but it means we can get up. We can lift our heads up. We can keep going. And this is so important. When your brothers and sisters in God's family fail, you can come alongside them and help them get up and keep going too. And I'd like to close with a story that reminds us of that. It goes like this. When the starter raised the gun and said, on your mark, get set, it looked like every other 100-meter dash. The contestants were lined up in the starting blocks. The crowd was on the edge of their chairs with anticipation. However, when the starter fired the gun and the contestants sprang out of the starting blocks, even the casual observer could tell something was different. This was the Special Olympics. It was special because the contestants were developmentally and physically challenged. And it was special for a far greater reason than that. It was special because of the way that the 100-meter dash was run. The runners moved down the track shoulder to shoulder. Suddenly, one of the young women sprawled headlong on the track and turned over in pain and embarrassment. The rest of the contestants moved on for 10 or 15 meters. And then, without any communication among themselves, they all stopped, turned around, and jogged back to their fallen friend. They picked her up off the track, comforted her, and then arm in arm, they ran to the finish line together. Can you picture that? Because that's a picture of what the church is supposed to be. You see, the Bible says that in this race that God has set before us, this adventure of following Jesus, there are gonna be times when we fall But because of God's grace, because of his forgiveness, we can get up and keep trying. And friends, this is so important. When we see our brothers and sisters fall beside us, we shouldn't keep going. We should turn around and come back so that we can keep running and cross the finish line together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth that, that changes everything, the truth that changes us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to be our teacher, to be our Savior, to be our Lord. And, and God, today, as we think about failure, we're so thankful that we really can put failure behind us. And Lord, I, I pray this morning for those who right now, this very moment, carry the, the pain of failure in their hearts. Lord, some of us have tried for a long time, for years, to let go of regret and shame and failure. And Lord, we just haven't haven't done a very good job of it. God, today I pray that you would enable us to really come back to the cross again and again and leave our failure there. And move forward in faith. God, for the parents who feel that sense of, of guilt or failure, help them move beyond that. Lord, for those who experience failed relationships, Lord, those who have failed morally, God, help us. To trust you and to live life the way that Jesus would live it if he were standing in our place. And God, today, I pray for the person who maybe for the first time has come to understand, hey, I need a new life. I really want to move beyond my failure by following Jesus. And God, today, if somebody here is sensing that that tug from your Holy Spirit, I pray that at this very moment that they would say this in their heart to you. And it doesn't have to be these exact words, but just to say, God, I've failed you. I've sinned. And I'm sorry. And I want to turn away from that sin. I believe that Jesus died for me, for my sins. I believe that he came back to life. And God, as best I understand it, I'd simply want to follow him now. And God, I know this that you always honor that prayer. Lord, I pray for our church family. Help us to be a place where we can be honest about our struggles, where we can come to you and come to each other so that together, God, we can accomplish your purpose for our lives. And Lord, I pray this too. As we sing this last song, I pray that the words of this song will remind us of this simple truth, that Lord, whatever we are going through, you know. You know the hurt, you know the pain, you know the the struggles we face, and you alone can lift us up. And I pray that will happen, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.